Welcome to the Future Proof Podcast. Today we're joined by the City Planning Manager and Chief Planner for Hamilton City Council, Dr. Mark Davey. Mark is an urban planner and people leader. His work is seen in covering everything across integrated land use and transport planning, from funding and investment to policy development and implementation. He's also someone who has had a high level of expertise in how Hamilton City plans its growth over the coming decades. And not only that, he's just an all-round good dude. I always enjoy chatting with him. So I appreciate you jumping on today, Mark. Cool, my pleasure. Thanks, Callum. Thanks for inviting me. No, my pleasure also, mate. I appreciate it. Um, just to start us off, could you perhaps give us a quick little rundown to your background? Because my intros never do it justice. Sure. Yeah, look, I've had quite a varied background um, in public and private sector, um, as well as some research and sort of academic background um, during during time of doing my PhD. Um, and I had the opportunity to kind of work internationally as well, um, both um, in planning and, and also outside of planning as well. So quite a, quite a varied background. Um, it's quite, quite tough explaining it to some people in terms of, sort of some of the different things I've gone because I've sort of been in the planning for, for profession, popped out of the planning profession and tried a few different things and, and then um, sort of in the last five years been back in, in planning. So, um, yeah, but I think I think uh, that, that diversity of background is, is really important um, mm. and it's really helped me kind of um, mature as an individual um, and as a leader. So, um, yeah. What brought you back to planning in the end? Oh, look, I think it's really intellectually stimulating work and it's it's you're doing genuine, genuinely good things. So um, it's very rewarding uh, in terms of what, what you're doing, what you're creating, um, the impact it has on people's lives, or, or, albeit they might not sort of see it or feel it immediately. But I think the, 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 the discipline of planning and the, the sector, um, you, you know, you, you're sort of, you're certainly leaving your mark um, on places. And so it's a really great opportunity to um, bring about better outcomes for for communities, for cities, um, and things like that. Yeah, you have got an incredibly varied background, and I speak to lots of planners, and not all of them go out to do a PhD. So I'm just curious, what incited you want to want to do that in the first place? Yeah, look, I guess I was wanting to broaden my skill set. Um, I, I was wanting to differentiate myself in the market. Um, and, and I guess I, I was I was sort of hungry and inquisitive and, and wanting to learn more. Um, and it came about um, around 2010 with the uh, reorganisation of Auckland Council into one super city. So in the New Zealand context, that was massive. You know, one and a half million people. You know, roughly a third of New Zealand's population. Major sort of economic powerhouse. And all of a sudden, after decades and decades of struggles, um, central government was intervening. And, and reorganising um, Auckland. Um, and that heralded the introduction of uh, spatial planning. Uh, so that was the first time that spatial planning started to be talked about in a New Zealand planning context. Um, so I thought, what, what, what better opportunity to um, kind of investigate this, understand what's going on. Um, so I went out and spoke to 70-odd key influential stakeholders, decision makers who'd um, either been involved in the history of Auckland over many decades, um, and, or, or had or were playing influential roles in the actual um, amalgamation process itself. So these range from former mayors to existing mayors to government ministers to um, various chief executives, um, including former ministers who'd undertaken um, amalgamation in the past. So um, people like Michael Bassett. 
um, you know, uh, obviously interviewed the then uh, Mayor Len Brown, who was the inaugural Mayor of the Super City, uh, uh, Honourable Dr Nick Smith, who'd, who'd been uh, really influential in this space. Um, so, so this incredible array of, of these key influential stakeholders and decision makers, and really went out and, and asked them, you know, what were you trying to achieve? What, 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 were, what were the issues that you were trying to grapple with that, that led to amalgamation? And it was very interesting then placing that in an in international context in terms of um, planning overall as a discipline and, and where, where, where the trajectory for the, the sector was going in terms of um, this kind of, this, this drive was really exemplifying a few things, um, particularly around economic development. Um, and, and that's a real interest of mine in terms of how, how can good planning lead to um, better economic outcomes for, for communities, for um, city and regional economies. With the, I, I look at Auckland and I've, I'm fairly well travelled, I've been to Europe and I'm like, wow, this is a great way to get about. I don't even have to use a car. Do you, do you think New Zealand maybe lacks behind probably not learning from international principles, things that have worked from overseas? Is that something that you do in your work or try to bring it in? I, I think there's always a challenge in terms of transposing um, international ideas or concepts into a New Zealand context. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. First of all, we're, we're very, very young as a country um, and as an urban populace. So um, uh, a lot of the concepts from you know Europe and even North America um, struggle to be transposed into New Zealand so New Zealand needs bespoke New Zealand-based kind of solutions because not only are we unique in terms of built form, um, geography and things like that, but also culturally in terms of um, cultural norms of, of, of how we live and how we want to live and things like that. So, so you know, I think politically um, the solutions that are implemented in New Zealand need to reflect the community kind of wants and desires um, and just simply picking up a concept from Europe and transplanting it into New Zealand isn't necessarily going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So it's about taking the good bits of, of some of those things we see internationally and looking to apply them in New Zealand. Um, the, and so that, that maturity, and it actually comes back to some of, some of those some of that work I did in Auckland in terms of it, we're on a journey of maturity in terms of how we plan and how we think about urban systems. Um, and and also as a society, and I, and I think about my role here in Hamilton and how um, already seeing a shift in consumer preference for um, more dense housing typologies. Now, whether that's out of desire or out of you know necessity, a bit of both in different circumstances. But um, you know, ten years ago that would have been unheard of in, in, in regional centres around New Zealand. But now. All of a sudden, people are more willing to kind of live more densely, and that's and that's really interesting. And and so coming back to your question in terms of um, public transport, it's, it's the same thing. People people go overseas, they experience different cities, they come back, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, public transport in New Zealand, okay, yeah, I could I could do that. Um, and, and 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 things and so things then start to grow and evolve over time. The challenge we have with the, the transport thing is that the city's layout and design and density and things like that, particularly in Auckland. Um, uh, are not necessarily well suited to those sort of mass transit uh, schemes that we see elsewhere. We, we don't necessarily have the scale and we uh, largely don't have the density to, to support them to be as good as some of those networks um, overseas. And just moving on a little bit, 
what, how would you describe the work that your team does? Look, it's pretty forward. I mean, it's planning. So it's generally really forward looking. Um, and and it's, look, it is policy. It's planning policy, but it but it tra- traverses a whole lot of spatial scales. So from from kind of very localized planning initiatives through to some of the more macro city wide um, issues in terms of, for example, job growth, industrial land. Um, you know, through to where, where are we putting density? How are we how are we aligning planning with infrastructure and transport and things like that. And then also we're quite involved in, in sub-regional planning. Um, and so in, in the Waikato, there's a very, very well um, established um, sub-regional uh, planning uh, group called Future Proof, which is an amalgam of the various uh, local councils, which about a decade and a half ago uh, saw the need to um, uh, sort of introduce boundaryless planning because of the sub-region being this interconnected kind of um, urban-rural environment, um, which traverses some of the administrative boundaries. So very, very interesting work, um, and, and yes, yeah, so it covers, covers these various sort of spatial scales. Um, I've noticed a lot more Aucklanders looking to flock out of Auckland, moving down to the Waikato. Um, I think me and you had a conversation before we were talking about, um, obviously, with the connectivity of the Waikato Expressway, a lot more big businesses moving in, um, mm-hmm. which is good economically for... Mm-hmm. For the Waikato and, and you guys, um, what's been your experience over the last sort of couple of years? Have you seen that as a bit of a, a trend for Hamilton? It's, it's it's massive, I think, and, and I think that goes to show some of the the, the um, interesting and positive outcomes that, that good planning and infrastructure investment can have. So, I mean, the, the Waikato Expressway has been a game changer. It's it's made the the connection between. Um, those the two centres, Hamilton, Auckland, and also um, Tower and Western Bay, and also in there stronger. Um, and, and then um, coupled with COVID, and and the idea of kind of remote working has just kind of um, exponentially increased people's appetite to um, live different different locations um, because of that improved connectivity, improved technology. Um, so it's really interesting, and I think. Um, look, economies are clearly, clearly always evolving and tra- transitioning over time. Um, Hamilton is absolutely benefiting from uh, an Auckland, a positive uh, growth in the Auckland economy, um, and, and so that has obvious spillover effects. Um, not all, not all of those are positive, and some of those are, are challenges that, that myself and the team and council here are, are grappling with day to day. But, um, but on the whole, that there are some really positive opportunities that come from that um, and, and that I suppose it's our job to try and harness those um, and, and leverage those for, for the good of the city and the sub-region. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, people are opting for more uh, I guess denser housing typologies. What do you think drives that? Is there anything that you've seen? Oh look I think it's t- t- two things. One is, what, and I alluded to this, one is, one is necessity, yeah. right? Um, and, and housing affordability, all major urban centres. I haven't heard of one centre but bar maybe a couple in the US where, where you know housing there isn't a problem with the housing affordability. It seems to be a pretty widespread issue. So clearly, if you can um, deliver a lower price uh, product um, to market, then that's that's going to help with that affordability thing. So so those high density forms of, of housing can offer a bit of a solution in that space. Um, but the other is desire. So so people downsizing, retirees, um, like 
anecdotally, it's very interesting. There's a lot of um, people who might um, work in Hamilton or own businesses here um, who, who then are kind of transitioning into retirement and will then buy a beach property somewhere. So for them, having, having an apartment or something like that uh, in the city uh, becomes you know really a, a good option for, for sort of midweek and then and then to, to their beach house on the weekend. So it, it's starting to um, serve different different sort of needs within the within the population. Um, and, and as I say, the I think the social stigma around it is, is changing and there's there's a more willing appetite for it. We're, we're seeing in the local market here, um, a, a lot more sophistication. So, so there's there's more developers now operating in this in this kind of high density market. So there's more options coming coming through across different price points within that within that segment of the market. Um, different levels of quality. So therefore, kind of picking up those different preferences, um, and that's really cool. Um, and 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 I'm sure that will just continue to grow. Um, so that's it's really neat to see. You said something interesting there about social stigma. Is, are you referring to like, I guess the Kiwi, the Kiwi hectare dream, big bit of land? Not, is that what that you're referring to, Mike? Yeah, yeah look, look, well, look, we've seen it recently. So you know, we've obviously been implementing the um, central government's housing intensification uh, controls, and you know, we went through consultation on that most recently. And look, there's there's certainly still a, a lot of kind of nimbyism out there in terms of um, intensification. And, and things like that. And I suppose, um, again, coming back to the maturity of cities and how they're on this kind of constant sort of evolution, um, Hamilton's probably earlier in that journey than others. So it's experimented with some forms of intensification. And it's probably fair to say that some of those early experimentations kind of maybe haven't gone very well, or, or people often look at the, the, the negative ones and don't look at the positives. So so that makes it that, that hurdle a little bit harder to get over with the with the general sort of public in terms of um, that resistance to some some of that some of those forms of intensification. Mm. Um, I was unpacking the urban development strategy for Hamilton. That was some good reading for me uh, in research for this chat. Um, there was there was an interesting like graph in there. There was a distinction between like standalone housing uh, are being built far less than what is termed as connected residential housing. Could you maybe explain just to me and the audience, what is connected residential housing? Yeah, look, um, connected residential housing is, is effectively uh, several dwellings uh, that you know share a common wall. So, so we're talking either um, horizontally um, attached terraces um, or vertically attached um, apartments. And so um, what we've seen in Hamilton over the last decade is is, is the, this amazing nexus which is kind of completely switched. So it's gone from majority of standalone dwellings to now a majority of um, attached um, typologies. Um, so effectively illustrating uh, the change in market dynamics in terms of preferring or majority being delivered of, of a high density form across the city. Um, and we've seen some kind of remarkable um, infill rates in the last um, decade or so, up around sort of 60 to 70 percent of um, new development going within existing brownfield areas. Um, and then, and then um, of the total typologies delivered both in greenfield and in brownfield environments, um, majority of those are, are, are these denser forms of housing, so um, either horizontally attached or vertically attached, type townhouses, terraces, duplexes. Mm. 
Okay. Um, with um, the Peacock development, which is a pretty significant one, and um, I think it might, it's, was commented that it's uh, like a, a best practice in, in planning. And I was just curious to get some context from you, like what principles and provisions went into that? Um, yeah, maybe you could explain for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's um, it's inc it's incredible, really. It's a new growth cell for seven and a half thousand homes. Um, so that's that would be the size of Cambridge, um, which is a, lo a local sort of comparative example. Um, so pretty large in a New Zealand context. Um, we we've uh, it's been comprehensively master planned. So there's about eight different kind of neighbourhood village um, centres within it, um, which are supported by, um, you know, sort of medium to high density around each of those. Um, and, and probably it's one of the defining characteristics is um, the ecological um, outcomes that are going to be achieved through it. So I think the net developable yield from it might be sitting around sort of 30 to 35%. So um, very, uh, you know, there's huge, huge tracts of land that are being set aside for um, gully restoration and bat corridors. So um, there's, there's a, a certain type of bat that, that's been found in that area. Um, and through the plan change process, we're, we're looking to protect significant um, ecological, or we're calling them bat corridors, um, to protect to protect um, this bat species. But those those corridors will provide pretty incredible, in decades to come, I think, um, amenity for the residents there. So it'll be it'll be a really special uh, special area due, due to those characteristics. Yeah, does that involve replanting as well, as well as? Yeah. yeah, there'll be, look, there's an extensive program to basically rehabilitate a whole lot of the existing gully networks um, within there because effectively um, Hamilton's kind of composition is, is really uh, the main stem of the Waikato River and tributaries flowing into that and a whole lot of gully systems that kind of come off that in, in, in very kind of crude terms. So um, a lot of the city, a lot of the existing city and, and, and future parts like Peacock um, uh, ha have all these amazing gully gully networks running through them. So part of the Peacock urban sort of redevelopment or urban development and the beneficial outcomes will be the fact that these um, gully networks will all be restored. Um, and on top of that, there'll be additional um, ecological corridors, um, uh, you know, support for reform. That's an amazing project, mate. Um, how many residents is that roughly? Is it seven, you say 7,000 homes roughly? So seven, seven and a half thousand homes for about twenty thousand wow. twenty thousand people. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's massive. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty significant, um, and it's it's interesting. It's um, it's been was introduced into the city through the nineteen eighty nine um, amalgamation of local government. Um, so the last time that the local government went through a major amalgamation, um, barring barring obviously Auckland in twenty ten. And uh, it, so it's been in the planning phases for, for, for many, many decades, um, but it required a, a number of significant pieces of infrastructure to, to enable it to get it going. One of which is an entirely new uh, bridge over the Waikato River, um, which is this incredible bridge. So really, if, if you're coming down here, I really encourage you to kind of visit it. It's a beautiful design um, and, and spans the, 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 the gully and, and, the, and the valley that the gully sits in. So it's, it's really beautiful. Um, so that's connecting, obviously, and opening up Peacock. Um, and the, the other thing is Peacock's really close to the central city. So 
um, actually it, it provides a really um, great opportunity to get increased density and population in relatively close proximity to the central city, um, hospital, university, and things like that. How do you is it, do you have any specific challenges with enabling that that uh, development to happen? But also protecting and enriching the natural environment as well. Is there any major challenges that you found with that? Learnings from it? Well, look, look. I think I think actually because because the planning work for Peacock's been going on for for, for quite some time and look long before I arrived here. Um, I think the, the, that built up a general um, understanding for um, for the need to protect bats. Yeah, so look, I, I think I think there, there was a general um, growing awareness, like because I've been in the planning phases for a long time, that um, that, that look the this environmental protection was just going to be foundational to getting peacock off the ground, so to speak. So I think the, yeah, widespread I think awareness across um, environmental groups and across um, you know developers that, 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 that this is this is what's required to, to get this um, area uh, urbanised. I had a um, Sean Ordain, who's like the strategic planner manager from Wellington City, talking about digital twins before. Is that something you guys have considered for Hamilton? Yes, we do. Yeah, we, we've got a digital twin model, um, and I think that's some of that. Some of the changes in the technology space are, are really cool um, in terms yeah. of being able to effectively model existing city form and, and, and kind of then sort of project forward. So I think that the, the changes in technology, the development in GIS development in um, some of the, the monitoring, um, like we've got a pretty sophisticated growth model that looks at a whole lot of input assumptions and almost sort of it predicts almost where, where the market is, is, is most likely to go and things like that. So I think that's very exciting for, for planning and really helps uh, inform that evidence base uh, for, for good planning. Yeah, I don't know if you ever was much of a gamer as a kid, but I used to play SimCity and I always find that quite fascinating. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any other, I guess, innovative or different approaches, unconventional uh, ways that you're sort of approaching um, planning for the city? Is there anything that you guys have done that's probably weird or wonderful, different? I think. Um, look, the, the, I was introduced to this concept a little while ago, and it's kind of edge theory. So, like, you know, um, and, and it's an ecological kind of concept. Um, whereby um, uh, species and the like that are on the edge of something generally adapt faster or, or, or um, evolve faster than, than those not. And I think it's very it's a very appropriate term for New Zealand and it's kind of an appropriate term for Hamilton as well. Um, you know, Hamilton hasn't always been uh, in the limelight, shall we say. Um, and 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 because it's um, yet had quite a um, advanced kind of planning sort of framework in terms of future proof, I think there's actually been a lot of really good innovation taking place here in Hamilton. Um, and and you know maybe maybe it's a cultural thing in terms of um, both the sort of the farming roots um, and the very strong um, iwi Maori uh, connections here as well. But I think we've been more willing to experiment and, and kind of push push the envelope a little bit. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Firstly, firstly is in terms of um, 
being a major river city and and some of the settlement with Waikato Tainui, which really places the Waikato River, um, you know, paramount to, to everything from a land use, um, mm-hmm. urban planning, resource management point of view. So how we protect the river, the hour, it becomes really fundamental. So um, we have introduced a whole lot of green policies. Uh, we have really pushed sort of that whole green aspect in terms of planning, um, and we're continuing to do so. And that's kind of that's coming through in the Peacock, uh, uh, you know, example, but it's also coming through in a, in a greenfield context or in a brownfield context as well. Yeah. Um, so, so that that would be one example. I think the other the other interesting thing is that Hamilton probably well did start experimenting with density probably ahead of its time a little bit um, and and that's and that's really interesting so some of the initial intensification zones um, we had were sort of came through in the, in the 90s um, and again for for a regional center uh, circa 200,000 people now that was that was probably quite early on in its in its um, development to start doing that given um, it does have quite a sort of abundant land area around it, so it's not it's not hugely constrained. It's not Wellington that, that has some pretty hard edges and, and just can't it has to grow up. Um, it, ca- it can expand a, a bit. So to start experimenting with intensification the way we did the time we did in, in the life cycle of the city is pretty cool, and and it's actually I think we're reaping the benefits for it now because although there were some maybe not so great examples, um, we, we had to start somewhere. And we've started, and so now now the market has kind of evolved and matured um, over that period. It started back that, that back in the nineties, experimenting with. Yeah, yeah, there were there were basically um, three or four intensification areas that the the, the council at that time uh, specifically identified in, in kind of key strategic locations. One one around the university, another uh, near the hospital, um, and, and one or two sort of on, on the sort of fringes of the central city. Um, and, and so that's that's pretty cool in terms of thinking about back then um, this 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 push to try and um, get more people closer to amenities, closer to employment, closer to education. You live in Hamilton. You've lived in Auckland. What's that mm-hmm. change been like? Just generally getting about in life. How have you found that? Oh look, uh, yeah, look, Hamilton offers a, ma- a real benefit in terms of quality of life. Um, I've got a young family, and so just getting around, just doing things, just going about sort of daily daily needs, um, it just is just poles apart from Auckland, right? Um, and and so it's really hard to put a price on that the ease of lifestyle that 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 a that a smaller city kind of a more compact city offers. Um, and I think that's that's really special. Um, you know, I've, I've got friends who, who, who have, you know, spent hours commuting every day to work, and it's, it's not for me, it's not for everybody, um, and I find that really hard to kind of rationalise in terms of um, cumulatively that amount of time out of your day sitting in traffic, sitting on a bus or sitting in a car. Like I, I, that, that's just not for me. So the idea of... of um, uh, the quality of life that a uh, maybe a, a, an easier a city that's easier to get around in is, is huge. Yeah, are you seeing more of a push for active mode cycling, better access for PT? Yeah, we, look, we are, um, and and that that isn't certainly increasing, but I, I would say we're coming off a pretty low base. Um, so, I think you have to have to look at Hamilton in the context of being a, a regional, first and foremost, sort of a regional service town. So it's got this yeah. huge rural land, 
um, that that um, it services that, that encompasses um, you know some of the the, the most prime sort of agricultural land in the country, including a whole of sort of outlying sort of towns and villages, um, and and is to be fair the main centre for many sort of um, North Island um, people to come to. Um, so you know heading south from here, uh, so. So it, it is car dominated. It has certainly been because a lot of people are traveling into the city for work or for services to buy a new tractor, you know, like um, buy a new TV. That's kind of the sort of um, basis for, for the economy. And then it's evolved and, you know, there's a huge sort of tech sector that's, that's growing here. Obviously, major university and, and, and uh, polytech. Um, uh, uh, one of the largest, I think, hospitals in the, in the southern hemisphere, or at least in Australasia, is, is here. So um, it, it's sort of grown from these rural service routes, and, and then it's sort of, as I say, matured. And I, and I know I'm deviating a little bit off your question in terms of, in terms of um, active modes, but um, yes, that's changing now. The city's intensifying, um, and it is a relatively compact city. So I think we're very well set up. Uh, to support active modes. Um, it's a flat city. Um, I think it's about four kilometres wide and maybe eight or nine kilometres, you know, um, top to bottom. Uh, so so it's, it's still very compact and uh, it's got a beautiful river running through the middle. So there's incredible kind of river paths and things like that that make it very, very easy to get around. Um, we were talking about the peacock example earlier with more density. Um, is that something connecting? You don't obviously want all of those people, if that's 20,000 residents or roughly, you don't want all those people driving into the city and getting a repeat of what we have here in Auckland. I certainly wouldn't that's want right. that yeah. in Hamilton, but yeah, no, is, is that something that's yeah. look, look, being looked at now? Yeah, like the, yeah, we actually tried some really innovative, we're going to roll out some really innovative ideas. So like one, one of them um, you might have heard about is, is, is bikes on pipes. So because of, because of the sort of huge gully networks um, that, that sort of uh, bisect Peacock, uh, growth zone, bisect many parts of the city, um, there obviously needs to be infrastructure, you know, um, three waters that, that run through those, um, those systems or, or traverse those systems. And so the idea of um, needing to put or wastewater or potable water pipes over some of these gully systems presented the opportunity to actually um, change the design of those slightly in order to actually um, enable um, walking and cycling options uh, through those as well. And I think that's that's pretty pretty innovative and pretty cool. Um, and as I say, a lot of the master planning and structure planning we've done for Peacock um, has uh, a whole lot of kind of walking and cycling um, uh, tracks, paths uh, through through the whole um, through the whole area. A lot of them connect um, down to the river as well. Um, and so you've got these kind of main arteries um, that, that run kind of um, along along the river, which take you um, into, into the centre of town. So given it's given its relative sort of geographic proximity to the centre of town and some of these amazing um, kind of walking, cycling amenities that, that'll, that'll be established there, I think, um, yeah, I think it'll be pretty neat in the future and reduce that need for, for kind of um, getting in your car. Definitely. And if you can cycle along adjacent to the, the river, that's a really nice way of 
getting in, if that's a possibility. Oh, it's, it's, it's stunning. Yeah, it's it's one of it's one of I think Hamilton's kind of main kind of assets and selling points. Um, and I suppose it's tough. Maybe you know when you come and visit here, you know you have to because because you've got a, a river and a, and a, and a valley uh, system that. Know, you really need to intentionally kind of go down to it to explore it. But when you're in there, it's this incredible environment because you're sort of sitting in this valley um, and and kind of incredible amenity and things like that. So, mm. Are you looking at, um, maybe this is not your responsibility specifically, but you're probably mm. across it in some way. Are you looking to integrate that with bus stations? Is it a bit of a hub? Is that Are those things that are being looked at as well? Yeah, so we've got um, we've got what we developed a couple of years ago was called a metro spatial plan for the for the subregion that was predominantly focused around kind of the Hamilton metro area that also looked at um, the outlying towns so Cambridge, Taumutu, uh, Narawahia, um, and how and how the, the kind of the subregion or that metropolitan area functions as one coherent kind of urban system. So it's not just the city in isolation. And it comes to kind of that role I was talking about in terms of the city within that regional economy. Um, and so so we went through this metro spatial planning exercise, really looking at where, where growth was going to occur, what sort of the f- sort of future form we wanted for the subregion. And as part of that, we one of the key enablers was um, basically looking at the future transit systems across across the subregion. So through that, we, we looked at a whole lot of different options. Um, and really settled on establishing some key bus rapid transit corridors in the future, which we're now starting the early stages of planning work. So that they'll take decades to kind of roll out, but but that's what we're kind of building on. And so we know some of the target densities that we're wanting to achieve along those corridors to make that make that viable in the future. And we kind of know what our key employment anchors are. Um, and there's obviously a, a number of kind of um, corridors that are being identified and, and worked on. And so that's, that's kind of the future sort of almost um, sort of framework for future sort of intensification and development in the city and, and in terms of how some of those outlying towns can then in future sort of get into the city. It's good to know that they're, they're front of mind for people now, even if that's decades down the track. Um, so I think there's pocket, there's pocket, mm. like, I live in Auckland, I commute around a lot, I get around on the car a lot. Yep. Um, I also take the bus when I can um, as a means of just making it easier and a bit more convenient. Uh, but that's not the case yeah. for everyone as well, like getting around. Uh, people don't have that accessibility. Uh, so I said, it's, it's pockets. Um, mm. Do you see, because there's a, I was looking at um, some reports for Auckland Council, and, and one example is um, uh, the rates of people using PT at the moment seems to be going down slightly from the reports anyway. Mm. And do you yeah. see the demand for it in Hamilton at all? I was keen to get your thoughts on that. Look, it's, I think I think the long run trend is that it's certainly growing. So the, the demand for it's growing, but it's always a bit of a chicken and the egg, isn't it? In terms mm. of um, if the service isn't there, people aren't going to utilise it. Um, you know, COVID has clearly disrupted um, a lot of behaviours and patterns and things like that. Um, I think probably the opportunity for Hamilton, because it's relatively compact, um, a, a lot of the private vehicle use is is for very, relatively short distances, so I think that probably um, yes, bus is definitely a, a one opportunity, but it's also micro mobility. Yeah. Um, you know, use of e-scooters, walking, cycling um, is probably really kind of 
untapped at this point in terms of um, uh, you know in, t- in terms of those options. So as we're as we're building new growth cells, being able to sort of um, I guess build in uh, those from the start is, is really positive. Yeah, not having to unplan the decisions later down the track. Well, it's, it's 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 so it's so expensive to retrofit existing um, existing built form areas, right? Um, it, it's almost cost prohibitive, I'd say, sort of in, in many cases. Um, so, yeah. So so, and then you've also got disruption and everything else that we've seen, with, like for example, city rail loop and other things. Um, yeah. Would you like to see rail come through Hamilton? Oh, you've got the T. Is it Tehua? Yeah, we've got look, we've got Tehua, um, which is which is the rail service that runs uh, a couple of times a day from from Hamilton to Auckland and back. Um, and I think that's been that's been really well um, um, utilised. I think that I think the problem for me, um, speaking personally, is is making that a, a viable alternative for those who are commuting on a regular basis. So at the moment, I think it takes about two and a half hours to get from, you know, um, centre of Hamilton to downtown Auckland. Mm. Um, so, you know, like that, so, so there's a few things you need to think about, I think. The frequency of service, the reliability of the service, um, and, and, and the, the travel time versus other modes. So I think, I think you're not going to really see the benefit of things like that until you can... Um, uh, be equal to or better than the alternate mode, and that's something you see with the Northern Busway, right? That's why the Northern Busway has been so so successful because um, it's 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 actually a, a more timely service than if you sit in your car, yeah. um, and, and therefore you get that mode shift and that change in uh, consumer behaviour ha- behaviour happening. Um, I think I think you're going to always hit a bit of a glass ceiling until you can until you can kind of. Um, be comparable to or better than the alternative. Yeah, uh, you, you said something interesting there um, for different options and why people go for it, like reliability is one, but I think also safety, like people on bikes, obviously. Um, mm. I think that's, I look mm. at some spike, mm. like I look at cycleways here in Auckland, I think, oh, that looks a little bit sketchy there um, with busy traffic. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I think it's also, I think, so yeah, I agree. It's, it's the, it's the safety element. It's also, um, other road users, um, um, adjusting to, uh, you know, <laughs> having other things on roads other than just cars. Right. So, so, so that's, that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's an education kind of piece in that I think in terms of educating other road users that, um, look, there's going to be more cyclists. There's going to be more pedestrians. It's going to be, um, you know, scooters and other things um, utilizing these more and more. So it's p- people growing people's, raising people's awareness. Yeah, I wanted to move on to maybe some more contentious topics. If you might be keen to comment on those, what do you, yep, what do you think of the the um, the recent announcements with our new government and obviously the the coalition agreements? How that might impact the RMA? Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, there's a huge amount in there, isn't there? I mean, like uh, the 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 the, the level of changes proposed that directly affect the sector we're working in is is quite unbelievable, really. Um, I, it's probably hard to think back in history as to when there might have been similar upheaval or similar level of change. I mean, clearly, clearly, 2010 in Auckland was was significant. Um, 89 in terms of uh, local government amalgamations was significant. 1991 when the RMA came in. 
Um, but, but if you look back further in time, you, you're looking at the mid-50s when the Town and Country Planning Act uh, first kind of first really came in strongly. Um, so, so I think the sector has been probably fairly consistent, you know, over the decades, barring a couple of these kind of major um, events in its history. So, what we're seeing now is is, is quite um, quite unusual, I think, mm. for the for the sector. Um, but I think the positive is that it goes to show the importance of the work we do. So, so you know, politically, this would not be such a focus if if the, the government of the day didn't think that this could change the dial and lead to better outcomes. So I think that, that's your starting point, so I think that's very positive. Um, in terms of the changes to to the RMA or reverting back to the status quo, look, uh, my, my personal view was um, that I wasn't convinced in terms of what was released in the first place. Um, I, I'm, and I sort of, um, this actually came up through some of my research, um, well, I didn't sort of directly report on this at the time. There's an interesting thing here. You know, do you legislate for change and expect a different outcome? Or do good people working in the system manage to deliver good outcomes regardless of the system they're working in? So I, I don't know if you follow that kind of logic, but um, I think you can work within an imperfect system and deliver really good outcomes. So I don't think it's about legislation per se in terms of delivering good outcomes. I don't think that the current system is standing in our way of delivering good outcomes. I think it's about the people working in it, the, the mindset they bring, and, and the ability or their willingness to innovate within that system. So um, the, the other thing I'd say about the RMA space is that um, those planning documents reflect society's kind of preferences at any given point in time. And one example is the growth in the Waitakere Ranges in terms of like housing growth in the Waitakere Ranges is what was one really good example, right? You you, you wouldn't I don't think you'd see that happening today. You wouldn't see this this kind of death by a thousand cuts of, of residential growth up the size of the Waitakere's, right? That, that would be it would be sacrosanct. Like that would not happen today, in my mind, um, right? But but society at that point in time, a number of decades ago, thought you know viewed that as, a, as, as an acceptable kind of thing to happen. So those planning documents reflect societal expectations. Again, changing the law around that, I don't think necessarily fundamentally changes the outcomes on the ground, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Is, um, do you think that we that planners get involved enough in the public today, or even in the kind of political interface? You probably get to deal with local politicians. I assume you do. Um, do you think they're receptive? Look, I mean, it's democracy. So, so yeah, I think I think um, uh, the the elected members are across cross section of society. So, yep. So I think yeah. they, they they represent a diversity of views, um, and and um, you know that's the that's you know best form of governance we've got, right? It's it's, it's imperfect, but but it, it does certainly, in my view, reflect a, a cross section of society, um, and that's that's really important. And I think planning particularly in the policy space, has a significant interface with, with the political kind of whims of the day and, and political preferences. So yeah, a, a large part of my role in a, in a, in a, in, in, you know, is, is, is at that political interface. And also, a, you know, a, a lot of what my team does 
is is kind of um, directed by uh, what the political sort of priorities of the day are. So. Another contentious question yes. for you, not necessarily related to, to the Waikato, but a congestion charge on the cards for Auckland. Do you think that's something that um, would be a positive introduction? Any comment? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's been talked about a long time ago, for, for a, long, for a lo- very long time. Um, like, again, through my research, a decade and a half ago, it came up. Um, and and, that, and I remember speaking to a whole lot of interviewees about it, and they, they were raising it with me. Um, in terms of um, how Auckland plans and things like that, so yes, I think I think um, charging is important um, in terms of a user pay system because that's going to start to manage demand. Um, because unless unless the individual user is um, having to kind of um, weigh and balance their preferences. Then, then you get overuse of, of a particular resource, and, and the, 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 it's no different in a, in a roading sense. I think, from a philosophical point of view, um, I think that the challenge becomes: are there are there viable alternatives um, to to you know travelling at that certain point in time? You know, so enter public transport options. So I think you probably need to be careful as to you know where where it's applied and how it's applied in terms of making sure there's other viable options. And then the other thing is being careful that we're not um, using that because actually local government is limited in terms of its funding levers and it's, uh, it becomes a funding lever just to support local government. So it has to be kind of done for the right reasons is, is what I'd sort of say on that. Yeah, just giving people the options in the first place. And I think, as I said earlier, there's pockets that work really well. I use the NX, the Northern Expressway mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. in and out and it's, it's great. I have no yeah. issues, no qualms with it whatsoever. Yeah. But I know a lot of other people don't have those same options, um, and I do feel for those people. So yeah, I th- yeah. It's thanks for your- yeah. I think you've got to acknowledge that, that some of these some of these options are not for everybody. So, and I think that's that's what we as planners need to be really careful of in terms of yes, public transport, great idea. You know, we we visit international cities, whether it be London, Portland, Oregon. I mean, like cities around the world that ha- have amazing sort of PT systems and, and bits and pieces like that, and then it comes back to the very start of the conversation. We come, we come to, we, we come back to New Zealand. Want to transpose these ideas in New Zealand? Now, like you know, public, some public transport's not going to be for everybody. So, so you know, think about um, people with disabilities or accessible communities, things like that. Think about. Um, um, you know, young mums with dropping kids off at school, or, or young dads dads dropping young kids off at school, things like that. Like some of, some of these some of these things are not for everybody. So I think we've got to be really mindful of of the everybody in the community with whom we're trying to um, serve. So mm. yeah, and just one more before we wrap up today, mate. Um, is there what do you think we could do better from a planning perspective in New Zealand? I think we should be bolder. I think we. I, I think. I think we should be. And it comes back to some of those earlier comments. I, I think. I think we. I think maybe it comes down to training. So I think possibly, you know, we we need to put greater emphasis on our academic institutions and the importance of the planning education, um, and, and make sure that we we are producing um, inquisitive, um, kind of open-minded planners who are who are um, 
sort of not afraid to, um, you know, challenge the status quo, not afraid to kind of develop up innovative, innovative options. And, um, and I think that would, that would really sort of start to change the dial of it. Mm. Yeah, that's a nice way to wrap it up, mate. I, um, I appreciate you jumping in today. This has been really good. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So been fun. Cheers, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Callum. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye.